All right, folks, we have gone 75% of the season, and now it is time for the three quarter year season awards. Now, this time, I have broken this out into a couple of different categories, and we don't agree on anything, which is exactly why I did this. I'm going to ask my fellow hosts, best story thus far, Josiah. Michigan's cheating, Paul. Not necessarily a good story, but it's also one of the... You said best. I said best. It's, uh, and no one's getting hurt. Like, this ain't one of those scandals where people are injured in the process, lives are... This is just funny. That's all that it is. It's just funny. I have to ask this because I'm curious. Is it Michigan cheating or Connor Stallion cheating? It's Jim Harbaugh cheating. That's what it is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Allegedly. Burgers and and videotape, baby. That's the season. God, I, I, I now want peace. Michigan to have just... I just want real... I want a real Michigan scandal oh to happen now. And everyone to just yeah. ignore it. Uh, just, just ignore oh, it. Like oh, a real is, cheating scandal. Um, Nobody cares. Computer crimes. The FBI is currently investigating um, at Michigan... Yes, at Michigan? it's happening in the background oh, wow. of the Cheeseburgers and the Coen Brothers. Um, the movie makers? No, so the level of plot that the Connor Stallions uh, sign-stealing stuff is, is just Coen Brothers level. That was actually my, mm. uh, one of my picks for a later category in this, is just the layers of insane bureaucratic comedy that is the Michigan sign-stealing. Um, but yeah, in the background of those two things, there's another coach that is being investigated for um, crimes regarding use of computers. The FBI has been on campus for this. So like there is a real potential scandal. There's also deep in the Connor Stallion stuff. There's him uh, getting unauthorized access to personal information on Navy football players. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Michigan just had a major... Uh, data breach of applicant current applicants current and past students uh, staff records as well um, which yeah there's a lot going on at the University of Michigan right now Ann Arbor in shambles uh, mine is uh, oh, excuse me sorry Jeff what is yours we talked about Josiah so long what, I'm having yours, a good time with the Pac-12 having great football <laughs> and also legal shenanigans at the same time <laughs> Uh, most recently, Jeff, if you don't mind telling us, what is happening with Oregon State and Wazoo trying to wrestle control of the conference? They are currently suing to say that they are the sole owners of the property of the Pac-12 and the assets of the Pac-12 rather than all of the schools at the moment because the way the bylaws have been constructed, if you leave, you relinquish your uh, control and ownership. And this comes down to basically... Will they keep a lot of assets, rainy day funds, et cetera, or does that get split between the 12 schools, which will make a huge difference um, for the, for them transitioning out of being in a big TV deal in comparison to some of the schools that will have that bigger TV deal. And also, like, everybody screwed them, so they should absolutely get theirs. Mm-hmm. 100%. I... I think it's funny that neither Wazoo or Oregon State have law schools, and yet they have somehow found a way to make them feel it on the way out. Love it so much. 
Irish weight continues with the Pac-12, and I think it's ridiculous that private entities are dictating to public institutions how they will behave. Um, my best story thus far is the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University Rattler football team rampaging across the SWAC <laughs> undefeated in conference play and are really putting the screws to people. So keep keep it up, fam. You win that conference, and uh, uh, maybe the SWAC will win a uh, celebration bowl this year. Who knows? <laughs> Doubt it, but who knows? Um, best team. Uh, uh, Josiah, we're going to go back to you. Who is the best team in the country? I, this is probably going to immediately be shot down by almost everyone, but Oregon Ducks for me look like the best team. I know they got a loss on the record. I understand, but they played Utah. That Utah is like that Stanford team of old. They play, they, they are just in control. Like I, they, they seem so sturdy. I was talking with Oregon fans and they're just like, yeah, this feels like back when we were playing when we played for the title a couple of different times, like they just, they feel like a real, and I know Michigan looks good, but these guys to me, like they feel like the real deal. I mean, we'll see if that holds up down the stretch, but I, I love the ducks right now. Ducks put the screws to Utah 35, six. I, you know, I don't know. The web foots mm -hmm. pretty good. Uh, Jeff, who do you have as the I have Michigan? The they are the most complete um, they're, if you look at SMB plus, they're one of the few teams that is top 10 in both offense and defense. It's them in Georgia, although I've not really been impressed with Georgia's offense in the same way that, that Michigan's is been able to do a lot more. Um, so I would say Michigan, but at the same time, um, SP plus basically gives Oregon their only five points on a neutral field behind where Michigan, if they were to play on a neutral field. So within that top kind of group, you're not that far apart. You're still within a touchdown for the top five in SMU plus, which hasn't always happened. Um, I think we've got a year where the top end is pretty condensed and a lot of those very, very good teams are all pretty close to each other. So it could be an interesting kind of last four year, last year of the 14 playoff there. Yeah, I've watched Michigan a handful of times. I they've got by far the best offense in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, JJ is a great quarterback. JJ is JJ McCarthy, a stable of running backs, good wide receivers, an exceptional set of tight ends. I don't know. They're going to be hard to stop by their local competition because their local competition is unprepared to handle what Michigan will do to you. And that doesn't change the fact that they then have the best defense in the same conference as well. So I don't know. You're making a good point. Uh, I'm going to disagree with both of you and say it's the Washington Huskies with a bullet. I just against the same Oregon Ducks that were mentioned, they had beat, they have a better, they have a better on field record because they beat the one team that Oregon, those web foots, and then they got a better offense than, than Michigan. I don't know, man. Uh, yes, they played Stanford, but I'll tell you this. The thing you can't account for is luck. And Stanford dropped a wide open fourth down pass. So you can't beat luck. That's the one thing no one can, can account for. Uh, let's talk about best player thus far. I'm going to switch it up here. Jeff, who is the best player? I am still always going to stand for the two-way player. So Travis Hunter mm -hmm. kind of is going to win my vote unless he does something terrible. And he's, con <clears throat> he's continually doing things that are incredible. So, yeah. 
aforementioned Stanford does not think he's the best player on the planet. Uh, Josiah, what do you? I'm gonna go full Homer here, and I'm gonna say Ollie Gordon, Ollie Gordon the second from OS Oklahoma State. Um, he's averaging in the last five games when they've actually given him the ball a meaningful amount of times. He had like three or four touches in the previous three. The last five games, he's averaging about one and a half touchdowns, which, you know, that doesn't that's not a real stat. But and 195 yards, he had 282 on the ground and 271 in the last two games. He's just toting the ball. And it's, you know, we're and, and Cincinnati's a good run defense. They're not necessarily a good team, but they were one of the best run defenses in the Big 12. They held Oklahoma down pretty far. OU won. You know, so good team. And but now we're heading into teams like Houston and UCF and BYU who don't have the lines. And I'm just like, come on, baby, go for the single game record, like run it up, man. Um, But yeah, he is he is extremely, extremely good. And he's a good pass catcher. We don't need to use him that way, but he is he is already broken a thousand yards, which is great to see. We need one of those and see where see where it finishes out. Excellent, excellent choices. Uh, my guy is Eden James uh, for Howard University. Impact players make impact plays, and this guy's an impact player. I love him to pieces. Even though he scored a touchdown against my beloved Spartans, he did it for Howard University, my other alma mater. So, shouts out to him. Uh, best platoon, Jeff, who do you have as the best I'm gonna platoon? I'm going to go with the Iowa defense. So, not only are they first by SMP+, which is an efficiency measure, by... Even kind of your traditional yards allowed, they're still in the top five. And they face an incredibly large number of plays because of how bad the Iowa offense is. And they are dragging the Iowa offense well to potentially a division title in the Big Ten West. And theoretically, a they could win the conference. I don't know if that's gonna happen. Um, but like they could absolutely frustrate whoever comes out of the East with how good that offense is. Now, they might, it might not be anywhere within reach of the Iowa offense to keep up, but they could make a very, very good offense look stupid. Hold on. Penn State disagrees. And I don't know that they might frustrate Ohio State. I think. This is it. I think. Oh, I want that game, though. <laughs> Ohio State versus Iowa. Michigan loves the game you're describing and would be happy to play the exact game yeah, I mean, you're describing. I, I think that game ends 21-0 Michigan. But I think you have you have some angry Jim Harbaugh as as the Iowa defense is able to kind of do things but yeah, I think just it is impressive how good the Iowa defense is, particularly with the challenges they have, because how I think Kirk Ferentz wants to play is eat up clock with an offense that is slow, but methodical and efficient. And they aren't the methodical and efficient. They're just the slow and they're facing an incredible number of plays and still able to play at the level they are. Which kind of throws the entire theory of the case of the you eat up time so that your defense gets better thing. But the Iowa defense is incredible. 
Yeah, it's great. I, you're not wrong there. They're great. Uh, I'm going to go Ohio State's defense. They have just been mm. on one. Notre Dame gets erased. Uh, Penn State gets erased. Wisconsin, for the most part, gets erased. I just – it's a great defense, and this is the Ohio State that I know, which is, hey, we're going to stick you in a blender and chop you up, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I put this one in here. This is mine. Uh, best play caller thus far. Uh, Josiah, who, who are you going I, I got. With? I mean, I know I'm standing overly for the Ducks right now, but I like Dan Lanning, and the reason that what I what I've liked about seeing him this season is that he's made one bad, you know, in the loss to Washington, there was one where he was like, "Yeah, I wish I had that back." But for the most part, what I like about it is he's taking thoughtful risks. They're calculated. They're they're doing a good job with the offense. You know, there's no such thing as a bad bow doesn't really exist anymore. In his system, the way that he sure used to, it. like he still might have bad games, but it's not the bad bow problem. He's yet to yeah. this season, and, and and he has not. And this I season. mean, you know, I I could probably tie this with Jonathan Smith from the Beavers just because I love the way he does offense. But with Dan Lanning, he owns his calls. He's up front with the, with people when they're like, "Why'd you do that?" He's like, "This is what we were thinking." You know, I wish I had that one back, but I still stand by these three other ones. And what you know, I just I like the way that he approaches the game. Generally, it's not that he hasn't made mistakes, but in a general sense, I have, I have really, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think pretty highly of how he doesn't feel like a Mario Cristobal where, dang, his roster looks nice, but what is happening on the field right now? Boy, what a wild comparison. <laughs> uh, Jeff, um, do you have some? I kind of agree with both of y'all <laughs> looking at the notes, so I... okay. That I'll throw mine in there then, so that we <laughs> yeah, yeah, could yeah. agree with us both. Uh, I've got Lance Leipold mm-hmm. of Kansas. I I watched that, that game, and I'll, I will keep saying it, that offense is diabolical. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I watched a little bit of of Kansas OU as well, and everything that Leipold is doing with motion is it's so good, it's so and good. you can see where it's opening up to everything else, and I think that's. That's really where, yes. if you are a good play caller, that's what you're doing is you're using the elements of a play to get guys open, create mismatches, rather than using talent to do that. You let your talent shine when you put them in a position to succeed. Best obscure rule application, uh, Josiah, what you got? It's... um. <laughs> It was the game yesterday where, where they the it's not really an obscure rule, but it was just a fun funny application where the officials stopped the first half. They thought the game was over. Turns out there was one second left on the clock, so they come out, they run a one second play, but there's a turn timeout left over. So the other coach is like, "Well, I got a first half timeout for this one second first half we're playing right now, so I'm going to call a timeout and ice the kicker." It's just incredible. It's peak. Which game was um, this? Oh. Gosh, I just blanked. Um, Sorry about oh, that. No, it's fine. My apologies. <laughs> just blanked. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, like it, it was just incredible. Um, just incredible. And and he misses the field goal. And it's like, this is perfect. This is the best. You can't take the timeouts with you. You might as well use them. And it, it peak Pac-12. Like, just. The, the reps are amateurs, <laughs> too. Uh, Jeff, what's yours? This is where we go back to Michigan, where. All of the Connor Stallion's sign-stealing stuff 
has levels of interesting bureaucracy built into it from the fact that, oh, sign stealing's okay, but it's actually that you paid people and you had people go in person to watch the games and also that you potentially recorded it and those two things are actually what's the NCAA uh, bylaws against. And there's just kind of like the uncovering of layers of, okay, as you dig deeper into this, this is where you actually find the rules violations. And they're all kind of bonkers. And also you find that this wasn't a well-executed criminal enterprise. <laughs> Shocking that the Michigan men are unable to do a well-executed uh, yeah, criminal enterprise. Co- I was going to say, um, the Cohen go ahead, thing, it's, this is big lady killers, big burn after reading vibes. Oh, absolutely. It's unreal. It was Cal absolutely. USC. I can't believe I forgot that. But anyway, the game I was talking about. So A game that could have used two, two more, more points. points yeah, for there you go. Anyway. Um, so in uh, college ball, uh, you can have two men back to return a kickoff. Uh, if one of them calls a fair catch, it is incumbent on him to then catch the ball. If he catches it, then the ball is automatically taken to the 25, anywhere within the 25 to the end, to the end line, I guess, uh, if he catches it in the end zone. Um, if the second man, so if the, the one player one calls for a catch, but the second player catches it, the ball is dead at the spot. This is a stupid rule. I think if there's a fair catch that's being called, it should automatically just go to the 25. Uh, this happened in Tennessee where no one called a fair catch, but referee seemed to somehow saw somebody call a fair catch, even that on a review. Cheating. And so, they listen, the Tennessee <laughs> had the ball at the five. They got stopped inside the five. They had to punt. Then it was academic from there. Uh, third Saturday in October went the way it's gone every year except once the last 17 years. So, that was a stupid rule, obscure rule application that most people don't quite understand because they never quite see it. Uh, Jeff, we use game on paper almost exclusively around here at Feed Your Mascot. Uh, tell me why it went down for 30 seconds so, yesterday and what happened. I, I was looking on and, and one of the main admins for it is on the Moon Crew Discord with us. And I was talking to him like, so it, are you guys having some, some IT issues? And he's like, hold on. Wait a minute. Check the UNC Georgia Tech score. It should be noted that him and one of the other main um, architects of the website are both Georgia Tech alums. And and Georgia yeah, Tech had say. a wonderful upset over UNC. So they replaced the UNC logo with the crying Jordan meme. Beautiful. We we love our friends at Game on Paper. They produce I mean, an excellent website and... Uh, also, they have a lot of fun with it. Uh, there's that. There's a little little Easter egg anytime you look up a Georgia score. Um, it's great. You can find it for yourselves. You can find it for yourselves. Um, I will also point out that the Sickos game of the week is noticed on there, is marked on the website, and they put a flashing box around a very exciting game. So, love game on paper. We're going to have you on our, webs- on, our, on our little podcast here one of these days. But you guys rule. We love you dearly. Um, and I think that will be our cold open.
And so welcome, welcome, welcome to the week nine recap from Feed Your Mascot. My name is Blue, and I'm joined with the fellow hosts this week. We've got Jeff in a Purdue shirt. Sorry, Jeff. I watched some of that game, and the moment I turned it on, bad things happened. Uh, I put it in the chat, and to all the Purdue faithful, I'm sorry. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing? I am doing all right. Um, it is unfortunately too wet for me to bring out the leaf blower, which is going to cause a little bit of a problem in all the things I have to do this week. Well, you need a stronger leaf blower. Uh, Josiah, I hope you're doing well. I see you've got uh, some green yeah. on there. I don't know what team that is. Uh, how are you doing and what's what's going on? In, I'm doing uh, still- good. It's homecoming week in Stillwater, so... You know, it was a, it was a good, it, it had a, you know, it was a little dodgy by halftime, but you know, it was good, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, the weather is terrible. It's that like upper thirties, low forties raining constantly kind of stuff. It's been that way for like two days now. And so when you look at the homecoming and then the Kansas OU thing, it's like that weather was, it was man, kudos to anyone that was out in the rain during that. Cause that was terrible. It was miserable weather. All of the Jayhawk faithful who stayed yeah. through the game and ripped down the goalposts. Shout out to you guys. Uh, it was also homecoming. American stadiums need both roles. They do. Yeah. They do. They do. Um, uh, it was also homecoming at my alma mater, Norfolk State University, where they played Morgan State University Bears in a football game that uh, Norfolk State then lost after being up 10 points uh, with six minutes to go. So uh, I feel you, Jeff. I feel you. But behold. So we're going to jump into it. Uh, we're, we've got a lot going on this week. We had some games that happened, some games that didn't. Uh, we, we've got the Textile Bowl, which I was going to watch. I really wanted to watch. But the CW is not available in my area because I live close to Raleigh. So that game was blacked out where I live. And trust me, folks. I know how to be a professional criminal. And I tried to stream this. And Jeff and I collaborated and we couldn't get it to work. So. <laughs> Jeff decided we're we are an inefficient not, criminal conspiracy. We Michigan. Yeah. We're Michigan. <laughs> we're Michigan. Um, so we couldn't get it to work, but I do want to talk about Textile Bowl because I think it's a very important rivalry for those two schools. And hey, one of the schools came out on top wearing, you know, one of the colors on the red side of the spectrum. Uh, we're also then going to jump over to Tennessee and Kentucky, a game that I watched and a game I have real questions about just how efficient Heupel's offense can really be. Because I want to talk about some things Tennessee fans believe about this. Then we're going to talk about OU at Kansas. Kansas is diabolical. They did it mm-hmm. again. And this time they did it to the number seven team in the country. Sorry, OU, you're not undefeated anymore. Um, and then we're going to talk about UNLV Fresno, which I watched. And then, yikes, what a come. Well, was it? Jeff, was this officially a comeback? Technically, because they were down at the half. All right. So a wild comeback for the Bulldogs. Uh, great game, had big West implications. And then we're going to do a dessert where we had the first female player mm-hmm. in HBCU history to score points. Shout out to Leilani Armenta. She's beautiful. I love it. Getting out there, recovering from an ACL and then kicking field goals. Uh, so we're going to do that. Uh, we'll also have some plans for November. Jeff will tell us all about it. We're going to jump into it, though. Jeff, Textile Bowl, you didn't get to watch all of it, but you watched some of it. What? what t- why is the CW like this? <laughs> I don't know. It's odd because it is one of the broadcast networks. It's one of the main ones. I can get it over the air, which is how I watched it. But for some reason, your YouTube TVs, 
your DirecTV streams, your Hulu lives don't all carry it, um, which create, created a bizarre situation in which I can get it on antenna where they give it away for free, a service I pay money for, I don't get it. And it had a blackout, and Blue, you, you're you at home in the general DMV I, area. I am right? an ACC country. blacked out. I'm an a- That's like a five-hour drive. Yep. What's going yep. on? So, so here's what happens. The ACC will black out the game that you can get on your local network. I watch all of my games. I watch all of my TV streaming. So I I don't own an antenna because I watch all my content streaming. NBC, ABC, Fox, have all CBS all have mechanisms that you can watch the local programming through the app. And they tag your IP and your IP address and then you can watch whatever content is on locally Simple. on the app. That's how I watch. Yeah, it's very simple. It's how I watch the NBC games. It's how I watch all of the Fox games, which I'm very fortunate to be able to watch Fox Sports 1. That's how I get my West Coast games. But I watch all of it through streaming. I tried to watch the CW app, but the app is not available on any of the, the devices that I own. So it's not on Xbox anymore. It used to be. Now it's not. Couldn't download it to my TV. Couldn't get, couldn't get it on my phone. And when I did finally get the app to work, the game was blacked out because I'm five hours away from Raleigh. So that's what happened here, folks. I apologize that we couldn't give you what we promised, which was me watching a game I really wanted to watch. Fun, want to shout out Clemson, or maybe it was Auburn, but someone had a, we are Michigan people, and they were watching the game. They were spying on the game that they were at. So shout out. I believe that's the Clemson. Clemson Tigers doing it. Love it. Uh, but... I want to talk about the game because Shipley might be hurt and then Dabo might be a coward. So, Jeff, explain these bullets and why uh, Dave Doreen is maybe baby Lance Leipold because they both have alliterative names. Yeah, I mean, the other thing big with Dave Doreen and Lance Leipold besides alliteration is they both did a lot of pre-snap motion and that played a huge role especially for NC State, in how explosive they were on offense. Um, neither team was actually particularly efficient. Um, their EPA per plays were... Clemson was in the 26th percentile, and NC State was in the 6th percentile. Success rate, Clemson was in the 53rd percentile, and NC State was in the 0th percentile. NC State came out on top in part because they were able to generate more explosive plays. There was 7% of their plays were explosive. That was 36 um, percentile. I'm going to get more yards per drop back as well. Um, And that was sort of the difference. They just had a couple more explosive plays as well as um, Kid Klubnik of Clemson through two picks and one of those for six, the other uh, NC State scored off of, and that was really where the game went down to. Um, Dabble off some points on on the board, trying to get a long field goal in the second or end of the first half. Um, it was not a pretty game for Clemson, and to some extent, Clemson, you're now four and four. Welcome back to the wonderful scrum. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why it seems like 
a lot of where the rest of football has sort of moved forward in NIL, in the transfer portal that Clemson hasn't, and they can have, they can theoretically have success without using transfers as much. Your margins just get much smaller if you start, if you miss on, on high school guys. And one thing Dabo's always made a big part of his um, recruiting pitch is explaining the culture he has built at Clemson, what that culture is like wanting to bring on guys that are, that would be a fit for their culture. Not everybody's a, a good fit. And while they've been recruited typically very, very well, there is some level of a ceiling to that. Um, and again, it's another place where you remove your margin for error. So if you start slipping in any way, it comes to bite you. And obviously there's been, you know, more turnover recent recently than there had been kind of the meat of the run for Clemson in coordinator positions. And it's just kind of interesting to see Clemson fall off a bit. And you're getting some varying reactions. Yeah, on it's, that. it's I think the thing I expected for the downfall of Clemson was defense takes a couple steps back and that's where the team goes. I did not expect this to be the offense goes from being good or great to competent to completely abysmal. Um, Club Nick is, you know, he's he's rough, but I mean, you know, people I've seen I've seen some folks that are coaches talking about and Clemson fans talking about how like Club Nick, Club Nick is not aware in the pocket. He's not calling protections. The rock the Shipley does that or things like that where like, yeah, it's like, why is the running quarterback not calling the stuff quarterbacks call so that, yeah, there was a, there was, there was a play that was designed as a rollout where he runs to one side and there was no one blocking the back. So he got sacked. And it's just like, there's just weird dysfunction on that on that side of the ball that is, I mean, I don't expect him to be world beaters, but I, you know, I expect him to fail functionally, not completely flailing around like this. Yeah. And with Chipley mm. running back in particular, who's been both a really big part of that offense as well as if he is calling protections, he is left the game and He's out for some time. Um, don't know details of that injury. Mm -hmm. Hope hope he's doing okay. It did it looked really painful, so um, you can't necessarily project based on that. But hopefully he's okay. And yeah, that's going to be somewhat of a problem if if they're leaning on him organizationally um, on the offense. Because while yes, you can not have the quarterback do that, you can have a center do that, you can have a running back do that. It's still yes. going to be a problem if you lose that one guy. I want to point something out. I had this conversation early early season. Duke uh, invites Clemson to town to play a football game. Add Wade Wallace, they play their game. Clemson fumbles the ball three times inside the five, but doesn't score a point in the red zone. Off. I told multiple people that is indicative of their mm -hmm. offense. Not, and everyone took the fumbling in the red zone part. And not the fumbling part. In this football game, Clemson committed more turnovers than their opponent. Two, a pick six, and an interception that led to a drive that led to a touchdown. And they fumbled the ball that they recovered themselves. 
They are struggling protecting the football. The very thing that they lost the game to Duke to, they're still doing. Now, am I pointing this out because it's some sort of vindication for me, a thing that I've been tracking all season to point out that, hey, maybe this team is not good at protecting the football and that's a thing we should keep up with? Yes. Am I going to like lure this over people? No, but I want to point out that good teams don't turn the ball over more than their <laughs> opponents. You know how many times you know how many times North Carolina State turned the ball over? Zero. That's why they won the football game. You protect the football and you you punish your opponent for not doing the same, and you've got to win. And I I really do think that's something to mm-hmm. keep up with. We can talk about how like historically bad this Clemson offense is, but man, minus 17 total EPA, minus 10.5 offensive EPA, four yards a pass. A pass. <laughs> yes, four <laughs> yards per play. Oh, it's sad. That's really passing. not good. Ha. Yeah, that it was not an aesthetically pleasing um textile bowl, but no. NC State did enough to win. Um, they've got the better ice cream. I don't know if do do we want to go in the history of why it's called the textile bowl? We do for anyone. That- and I want to say for future content that people might be paying attention to, we will be looking at all of the ice creams made at local universities, <laughs> particularly because Purdue now has one. And I I'm trying to figure out how to order it and have it shipped to me. And I don't know how to get them to do it. Anyways, I think I need to go to Lafayette and mail it to you. <laughs> I'll pay for it. Cash on delivery. And I'll, I will pay. Listen, we'll talk about it offline. Uh, Jeff, why is it called the textile bowl? So one interesting thing is both is in both of the Carolinas post the Civil War. One of the areas in which they had industrialization was mm-hmm. in the textile industry, which was one of the earliest kind of industries to industrialize. So historically, that region, partially because it's close to where cotton is produced. So if you're then it's easier to get that in to then spin that into thread, make clothing and and fabric for there. Um, That region is heavily known for that. Um, These are the two land grants. So where you would have graduates that would go into that, the industry um, running a lot of the plants. There's a lot of very interesting history in development of automation in the textile industry. And that was one of the first industries to get very heavily industrialized, both in the U S and the UK um, where kind of the original form of computer programming punch cards was to program automated looms um, in the textile industry. It's all very interesting history. Thank you to my mom for teaching me all the, all of this. Um, but that is where you get the inspiration for the textile for a very long time. Um, furniture manufacturing also was very big in the Carolinas for that reason. So a lot of, um, and a lot of your big American furniture manufacturers were, were there as well as it was, it was a big driver of employment and instead has moved overseas. That's hurt a lot of communities in the Carolinas. I want to point something out. Uh, and this is, HBCU fact number one for the day, but Clemson University being the land grant is very interesting because the land grant of South Carolina is South Carolina State University for the HBCU side of things. Obviously, some states they separate it out. That's pretty clear. This is under the nineteen, excuse me, the eighteen sixty two land grant act. But 
South Carolina State's existence goes back to 1872 under Claflin University. And the HBCU in this case is older than the land grant of South Carolina, which is Clemson University. Uh, I, I just find that a little bit interesting. They both have a weird color scheme amongst the colleges that they're around. I think that's great. Uh, but just wanted to point that out of, of that being the case here, uh, mostly because North Carolina A&T, the land grant of North Carolina, has a rivalry with South Carolina State, the land grant of South Carolina. So interesting. Figured I'd point that out. Hope you all love that little fact. But uh, And they're, the big population center of, of the that's Carolinas right. is like right on the border. That's right. Like a large number of Charlotte suburbs are in South Carolina. For taxes, so, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> I, I, it's interesting. I, you know, I, it was a great game. Glad to see that it came and went. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to give you the final word on it. What are we doing with Clemson from here? I don't know. I, they're still, I think, capable of making a bowl game, but I think it becomes an interesting question of can Dabo start to iterate and as well as can he accept that his ideal for where the sport is isn't where it is and, and there needs to be some adaption or does he think about moving on and they bring in someone different, which sounds insane given, given where Dabo has gotten this program, but it's a weird case of the game seems to have passed his ideal version and he either needs to catch up. And we've seen coaches do that Nick Saban has particularly on the scheme side has not liked what the game has become but has accepted that's what he needs to do to win and begrudgingly done it and to some extent his desire to do everything well meant they've created some of the some really dynamic offenses when probably what he wants to do is kind of the same thing Kirk Ferentz wants to do at Iowa it's just a Saban's like I'd rather win than play the game the way I want to play. So I'm going to win. I want to stick on this point for a second. I, I, Dabo, this is one year. I think Dabo will get it back together. Dabo has the same cachet as another similarly colored orange man with a similar haircut and a similar backstory of playing this game and now coaching mm-hmm. this game. Only his orange is brighter, mm-hmm. I guess. That's right. It's not important. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about Mike Gundy out at Oklahoma State, but the point I'm trying to make is that this is one year, and I don't know that this will last forever. But that being said, if Dabo moves on, I think very much so it is to Tuscaloosa. And so I think he would do well at Alabama. Say what now? Good luck. Oh, yeah, he'll do well there. He's from there. He's an alumni. It'll be fine. He'll get paid, and then when he gets fired, he'll get a giant buyout. It'll uh, he, be fine. Yeah, I was like, he will be doing well. Whether or not the Alabama football program will be is he would is win a different one title question. There. He'd win. Oh one god, title. that'll be insane. he would he win, win one title. He'd win one title. Yes. I don't know if he would win more than that if he doesn't adapt. But yeah, he would I win a title. That, I think that's he what would absolutely. Win a it title. might be a messy title, and it might have a stark cliff afterwards. But yeah. I, well, I'll say this. I am convinced that if he gets to play Brian Kelly regularly, which he has in the past, he'll beat him regularly. <laughs> so I don't know what to make of that. Uh, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about some another uh, 
rivalry between two schools that are bordering each other, and one of them happens to wear orange. Uh, Tennessee and Kentucky played a That's football right. game. Uh, they used to play for a, a trophy. I don't know if they still do uh, because of what it could imply back in the day, but they do still play. And uh, Josiah, you and I watched this game. You watched it more than I did. Let's talk about why you don't think this was the clash that everyone expected. Yeah, me least of all. Um, it's, you know, when we came into this game, I know Heupel's offense, it is definitely bomb it, throw it deep. They do that, of course. But, you know, it doesn't mean they don't run the ball. It doesn't mean they don't do that well. And Kentucky, good at running. They've been a running type offense for a long time under Stoops. You know, they've been good at it when their best teams have had some dynamic running backs. That was not the script that happened this time. Um, and, you know, you had Kentucky throw for more yards than than Tennessee on almost double the attempts. Yeah, Tennessee run for like three times the yards as Kentucky on twice, almost twice the attempts. And it was just a very different kind of game than I was having uh I was expecting to see. I mean, I, I, you know, the result didn't surprise me. Oddly enough, I, I kind of figured Tennessee would probably win. Kentucky's had some injuries and it's, you know, Tennessee's not a barn. You know, they're not the, the Tennessee of last year even, but they're still doing OK. Um, and they're still winning enough. You know, you know, I mean, you know, they, they didn't beat Bama, but they're six and two and they have a, you know, they, they're, they're going to probably go you know, eight and four at the worst, which is not great for the what they could be, but it's still wild to see that they could <laughs> that like an eight and four season as a disappointment is weird to me because of how like like that seems like a floor. And that has not been the case for them. That has been the ceiling in for since, you know, Pruitt and Butch. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's wild to see this, but yeah, this was not kind of the clash that I was expecting. I was thinking this was going to be a lot more, uh, a lot more throwing through the air, um, a lot, you know, for Tennessee, a lot more running for Kentucky and just not, not quite what, what I, uh, what it ended up being. So yeah, it's, you know, Tennessee is kind of, I, I, you know, I don't know that I can project what they'll be over the next few years and how high, how Heupel's offense will manage in the long term it seems like it does really well in the short term i don't know how it'll do in the long term there but but i mean it's you know it's weird to see tennessee able to live up to a a portion of the hype not all of it but a portion of it where you know there were so many seasons years ago that i remember when i think dobbs was there at qb they win four in a row they look like world beaters and then it just it doesn't the wheels don't just fall off the whole thing explodes in and that's not happening anymore. And that's kind of, it's just, it's interesting to see. And even if Heupel doesn't work out, it does feel like he's sort of changing enough about how things can go there that, you know, if he doesn't get it there, doesn't get to where they can compete with the Georges, he's at least laying some decent groundwork for it. And Kentucky's steady. You know, they're going to kind of be this team. Unfortunately, they're not going to break through very much, but I'm sure their fans are frustrated. You know, you watch Georgia, and all these other teams kind of come and go, get good years, and your good years are there, but you're never quite able to get over that hump. But I mean, they're steady. They they've got they're gonna be a hard out every year from here on out. So, and that's kind of still true here. It was not a it was a close game. It was not you know Tennessee did not run away with it by any means. No, you're absolutely right. I I 
think a little bit differently about this. I think that Tennessee's problem offensively is that if the bombs are not falling and the timing is off, then their pass game is completely ineffective. And this is compounded when the quarterback is not completely locked in on what he mm. should be doing. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, this is this is not a slight against Joe Milton. I, 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 do not do do not print in the paper that I have issues with Joe Milton. <laughs> I think Joe Milton is really good. I just think Joe Milton is not as good as the quarterback they had last year. Okay, and I think what's happening here is that Tennessee is looking around and saying, "All right, well, we're not going to win throwing the ball, so we're going to win doing whatever it is we need to to win." And they incorporate the run elements that they did a lot last year, too. And they just weren't the highlights. Mm -hmm. And also last year, like at the same time when we were at the season, Tennessee had beaten Florida and had beaten a ranked LSU Mm -hmm. handily. Again, we we forget that like BK is good for dropping, (laughs) like for really laying it. Brian Kelly is good for laying it. have it your way, you know? That's... He sure will. And he has this far this season, too. Don't forget that. Um, but I, I think we really need to come to terms with what we're looking at with Tennessee. And if they're going to get over that hump, they're going to need – I don't even think they need a generational QB. They need someone who is completely locked into the system. They, they need a four-year starter in their fourth year. That's what it is. And when they get that, when Heupel, if Hypo gets another – you know, if he gets the full time and he has that, that guy – that season is – Watch out. That being said, and I've got it pulled up, so let's all play the schedule game next week. The yeah. UConn Huskies are coming to town. <laughs> Best of luck. <laughs> they're gonna run the score. Yeah, they're gonna run the score up <laughs> oh on jo- Jim L. Mora. It's gonna be great. Then they've got at Missouri, which like a really good Missouri. So like, who knows how that's gonna go? But defensively, mm-hmm. it's gonna be a fun game. And Missouri might like take yeah. them out of the game. Diff- defensively and that might be it um then they get to play georgia at home and like i would love to see an upset here and they may put together an upset worthy schedule but like also it's georgia so like who knows what's gonna happen and then vandy who they'll probably obliterate so tennessee is already going bowling they're gonna win at least two more games so they're gonna have an eight win season to josiah's point like going eight and four is pretty good considering what they had Mm -hmm. been going remember they hired and fired uh, current Rutgers head coach uh, uh, Chiano, Greg Chiano, in the same offseason. Don't forget that. And then, like, I don't know, they're going to get to play a bowl game against maybe a semi-pretty good other team that they'll beat. They'll get a nine-win season, and everybody will be happy. If they don't, this is if they don't beat Missouri and Georgia. They could beat both of those teams, too, and then they'll win the East. So, like, well, Georgia may go. Undefeated. This is their only loss they were doing. But like, it doesn't matter. They have a great deal. They have a 10-win season. So, like, I don't know. Like, I t- Tennessee's doing great. And I think the fans are, I hope the fans yeah. are happy. I, I will add, too, your point about what might make Tennessee work. I think either a generational, you know, very good locked-in QB, not, ne- not necessarily generational, like you said. The other thing sure. that could really swing it for them, and it's something that's worked out for the Pokes, not quite Hypel's system. We are... We have in our past been, you know, sling it around would be a gener would be a very good or even generational running back because what that would do for an offense like Hypels is you can bomb it down the field and if the defense over respects that then you just run it up the middle, run it through the tackles 
and you can get 20 yard gashes. And not that they're good running backs now aren't good, but if you get a guy like, you know, I mean, I'm going to go back to Oklahoma State. If you get a Justice Hill, you get a Joseph Randall, a Chuba Hubbard, now an Ollie Gordon, um, you know, you get a Desmond Rowland, you get a Jeremy Smith, you know, you get those guys who are able to do that and tote the ball and do it really, really well. You that I mean, and 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 put up 200 yard games when you need them to like, you know, not saying again, I'm not saying Tennessee's running backs are bad, but if you get a guy that's just, you know, he's a home run when you give him the ball. That may even allow you to win without that quarterback, because suddenly your run game has a has a guy who could put the game on his shoulders. And if the defense focuses on one of those elements too much, they lose and you can just you can just kill them in so many different ways. It's when you have that offense, it's a lot of fun to watch. But when you don't, you know, it, it, can, it can. And a very flexible guy yeah. in the backfield also helps the passing attack, yeah. also helps the rushing attack. So it's very hard to attempt to account for that one guy. And yeah, that that opens up everything else. I mean, we have seen it a couple different places. What yeah. Christian yeah. McCaffrey type player or Saquon Barkley at Penn State um, can be. I want to point this out. To this point in the season, Tennessee has not yet cracked 300 passing yards. So, for all the talk <laughs> of what they are, it's true. They are not they are not this they throw it a, they throw it enough. They are not throwing it as much as people are giving them credit for this season. And we're all caught up on the bombs and it's like, look, if if your bombing runs are inaccurate, the, the war still has to be won on the ground. Uh, that is that's how it works. You got to have that running game. And this week they brought it. This week, the, the right. Kentucky stand-up right. defense didn't stop the run. I don't know what – look, Mark Stoops keeps talking about if you want to win, pay up like an old mob boss. But, like, <laughs> look, man, I, you're going to have a tough time convincing the people, the good people of Lexington to give you money for a sport that's not basketball. So, good luck. Josiah, I'll give you the last word if you want it. Yeah, I mean, I like Rocky Top. It doesn't get old. I don't know what people are talking about. There it is, folks. It doesn't get old. <laughs> We're going to move on to my game. Uh, I watched, look, I watched the upset of the afternoon. And I watched every second of Woo! it. That's the University of Oklahoma Sooners taking on the University of Kansas Jayhawks. Jayhawks have not won this game in 18 tries, but you know what? That's why they keep playing them. And now, they get the last laugh as Oklahoma leaves the conference. I, you know, this was an amazing game. Uh, Oklahoma came in and they played this game. They played it like every other game. They played great defense because Brent Venables is a defensive guy. And they played competent offense with Dylan Gabriel. But you know what? At the end of the day, Kansas showed up. They did all the motion. And when their guy had the ball at the end of the game, he put it in the end zone. And you can't. Take away what Kansas is, which is a top 10 offense in the nation. I, I'm super impressed by Kansas. I loved everything I saw. But, you know, in addition to all that, Kansas played some defense, guys. They got out there. They had two tackles for loss. And this is important because Oklahoma had zero. And when you don't, when you are playing on, your, on the other team's side of the ball, that's how you win. That's that's what it is. I, I'm super impressed by Kansas. Love what they're doing. 
it's really just awesome to see them finally get the win. They tore down the goalposts. They threw them in the, I guess there's a lake out there somewhere in Lawrence. And and they did it. They ran out. They ran it all over these guys, and they won the game. I It's all there is to it. I also do want to point out, Oklahoma had 500 yards, exactly 500 yards of total offense, and lost. So you you got to you got to score more points to the opponent. Uh, Jeff, I know you And they had the benefit of yeah. a rain delay that allowed mm-hmm. them to make some adjustments. Uh, Didn't matter because Kansas was playing them off the field prior to the rain delay. Yes. Once that happened when OU came back, they were back in that fight. But still Kansas came out with a win. Um And OU it didn't yeah, help. I was going to say, go ahead. Had 100 on. yards of penalties too on 11 different penalties. Like, you know, I'm not, well, you know, I, I understand people, you know, sometimes whatever, but like, man, that you, that you also can't do that. Like there's, you're going to get penalized. It's normal. It happens. People, even just procedural stuff. Sometimes the guard shifts before the snap, but like 11 for a hundred yards. That is, that is a game changing stat that, could be one of the things that made this break the way that it did, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's, and yeah. imagine losing to Kansas. It couldn't be me. Yeah. I wonder, you know, with <laughs> Oklahoma state, not losing to any of the Kansas teams, I just, I'm, I'm watching this Oklahoma team, this sooner team. They is are, really they good. Are. They're exceptional. Yeah. I, I would even say they're exceptional because they beat Texas. Mm-hmm. Like this is a really good team. They got into a fist fight in this game and they took every punch and they countered every punch until the end of the game. And at the end of the game, Kansas's offense used the same tactics at the beginning of the game to fool Oklahoma's defense. And that's what got them in the end zone. And there's, a, there's something to be said for consistency. It doesn't help if you take away that pick six that Oklahoma threw mm-hmm. to start the game. Oklahoma wins this game. It's that simple. Don't turn the ball over. It's that simple. Do not turn the ball over. Also, final play of the game, Oklahoma scrambling, trying to get the ball into the end zone. They throw it. Lance Leipold said, just knock it down. What do the DBs do? They just knock it down. Yeah. That's good coaching. Don't try to make a play. That's just good coaching. Don't try to make a play. Just knock it down. That's on our side. The the ground is on our side. I love it so much. Rocky Chalk, Jayhawk Walk. I love it so much. Kansas did it. I the last season we were waiting for them to turn that corner, and this yeah. season they have. And and they get the last. Oh no! Go yeah, ahead, go ahead. Yeah. The the fans were chanting "SEC" <laughs> as Oklahoma's leaving, and it's. <laughs> I just love it so much. It's petty and it's spiteful. And they said to them, "It doesn't matter where you go; you will take this L with you wherever it is." Go ahead, Josiah. Please. It should be noted ahead, that Kansas has now beaten Missouri. Or sorry, Kansas has now beaten OU more recently than Missouri, which is something that Missouri had been able to lord over Kansas. And the shit talking that uh sorry, <laughs> probably used different words. And Too late. heckling in between the two uh was was some stuff this weekend. Always always be hating on your rival, even if you can't play him because of weird realignment and baloney between athletic departments. I want to, I want to point out um, those guys aren't rivals. They're like Texas and Texas A&M. <laughs> they don't know each other. They don't care. They don't, 
they're not even in the same state. So what does it matter? Um, very funny that Missouri's very petty athletic department said, we're going to play Kansas State. And just, it's very clearly they can't, they could very easily have just called. <laughs> it's, it's so further petty. to Manhattan than it is to Lawrence. Like, come on, y'all. It sure is. It sure is. It just stay petty for every, everybody. Just stay petty. What I have heard is that they're, Kansas in the negotiations wanted to also have a basketball series. Why is that? Okay. Uh, anyway. So what? Uh, which, although they may play, yeah, it, which would also be They've fun. also played like, basketball just, more recently than they play football, though. Yeah. So I don't know what the problem is here. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Kansas, don't care. Missouri, figure this figure stuff it out. out. I, you know what? The legislatures of the respective states should force these two teams to play. I just, this is so stupid. I, I really do dislike when long-time rivals don't play because of money that they're getting from the TV. I really have a problem with that. See Washington and Washington State. See Oregon and Oregon State. Whatever, guys. Let And the TV wants games that are more electric and more passionate mm-hmm. and that are close and that have storylines. These are the games that TV should be forcing on the teams because it's so easy to market. Yeah. Hey, they hate each other. You would think. Yeah. You would think. I, yeah. I was but, gonna, the, my one takeaway from this game really is if y'all aren't familiar with the concept of Sooner Magic, it is an infuriating weird thing that happens where oh you will screw around in a game they will look like garbage but then they just sort of fall backwards into a win or they like they look good and they just squeak it out i mean it bedlam's a perfect example of it it's the most concentrated essence of sooner magic and you saw this in this game where like they threw the ball away they were handing it you know but ku had some turnovers Weird stuff was happening. They were getting stifled. They'd get a shot at it and they'd miss it. And But it still felt like OU was going to win this game until they did, to me anyway. And it was, you know, that three-second play, I'm like, here it comes. Here comes the back-breaking, catch in the end zone. Everyone celebrates, and we all wonder why we thought this was going to go any other way. And I'm so curious if this, like, whatever mystic feeling, this vibe that they have continues into the SEC or not, because... You know, some of that's probably because they've played on against bad Kansas teams over the years and bad K-State teams and bad Texas Tech teams. And I'm not saying MSU is a good team or Mississippi is a good team, but they got slightly deeper rosters than some of those. And so I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see how that shakes out. But it, I was fully expecting OU to win this at a certain point, and they didn't. And I, you know, amazing for Kansas. I if you stuck around to the end of the game, you deserve to tear down those field goal posts, Which I did. Right? Like, you... you they sure did. You and should, they did. You should yeah. do that. Pay the fines, tear them down, throw them in a lake. Have a good time. So, I want to point out, they were in the last four games of the season for the Oklahoma Sooners. Bedlam yep. is up Next November week. 4 in Stillwater. The last one for a long time, unless... Unless something changes. I don't know who the governor... Uh, it, uh, who, who's the governor of Oklahoma? Yeah. Is it Stitt? Uh, it's not Stitt. No, it's still Stitt, unfortunately. Still him? Yeah, whatever. He if he gets out there, he can do it. Uh, make them yeah. play, but whatever. He's not gonna. Um, then they're gonna be uh, playing West Virginia at home. Uh, excuse me, Oklahoma will be at home. West Virginia is coming to town. Then they're going to Utah. They're gonna play BYU, so that's fun. And then they're gonna end the season against Texas Christian. There's a world where they yeah. win all four of those games. Um, 
and they mm-hmm. go into the, the Big 12 championship game against likely opponent Texas, unless Texas loses again. So, and they could very well lose another game. I doubt it, but they might. This would be because they play Kansas. This would be State a really week. funny so. year for us to win Bedlam. Just, just, just because I'm not even saying we will. I don't think we will. But it would be <laughs> hilarious just because of how dumb it would be. Like, of all the seasons for us to do it, it's the one where we lose to South Alabama, who does not actually look like that good of a team now. We get our we get the brakes sure beat off of us by them and yeah. by a pretty mediocre Sunbelt team and go and somehow win Bedlam. That would be it'd be funny. But like I said, the stance is that it won't happen because it definitely is not going to happen this year. They are going to they're going to they're going to they're going to kick our teeth in. I'm pretty sure. If Kansas State, why is Bedlam next? We week? get tired of losing is- at the end of the season every year. I think that's part of it. Um and 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 for a while, for a while, OSU and OU were like, were the teams that were going to play for the title. When you have this round robin system where you don't have divisions and you play everybody, having back to back games against the same team isn't super great for television. So I think they started to make some adjustments to move it earlier. And I think it's also just like, why not? Because you know, if you are going to lose that game most of the time, get it out of the way. It kind of hurts. Your chances at bigger things, you can't build your resume back up right before bowl season. Um, and I don't know. I'm I, Aside from that, I'm not sure. But I do know that the championship game was a thing that people were like, okay, we need to move this game because they keep, they, playing it back-to-back weeks just feels kind of weird to do that. If Kansas State beats Texas next week, they will be in the driver's seat to get themselves into the Big 12 championship game for the second year in a row. So Wildcats. Go Pokes. Do your thing. Do your thing. All right, gang. We're going to move on to the UNLV game. I stayed up late. I watched it. And boy, (laughs) Fresno had a comeback. Let's talk about it. Jeff, lead us out here. What what happened late at night out there in the, uh, 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 what is this conference? Why can't it? Mountain West Conference. Mountain West. (laughs) So... UNLV took in a 17-7 halftime lead, and then Fresno absolutely shut them down in the second half, and in particular where they really shut them down was in the red zone. So the end of the game, red zone success rate for UNLV was 22%, that's 16th percentile, uh, 39% for Fresno, 46th percentile. You gotta finish drives and get seven points and that's one thing that fresno was really effective at preventing unlv from doing um unlv's offense is a heck of a lot of fun to watch um when brendan marion former howard head coach howard um, offensive coordinator our offensive coordinator excuse me um and google offense it is a lot of fun to watch um they do a lot of option stuff really they're the defining principle is get guys who are in space the ball and let them use the space. And you could really see that. And that's one thing they were very good at. I mean, they particularly passing the ball, they had 0.25 EPA drop back, um, 7.44 yards per drop back, um, which is both 73rd percentile. Um, they were very explosive, um, 9% explosive play rate, which is 58th percentile. So they were doing some very fun things. And all, uh, the offense was humming until it got to the red zone 
where they were really shut down, which is almost kind of surprising giving one thing that you also see saw UNLV do was a lot of triple option in the run in the red zone, but UNLV or but Fresno was ready to shut that down, um, which could be interesting in a Mountain West Championship game where they will potentially face Air Force, um, who are probably mm-hmm. the best current um, team running the triple. Um, as things stand right now, um, Air Force is leading Mountain West at. Five and zero in conference. Fresno is one of three teams tied at three and one, but they have um, head to heads over UNLV and Boise. I think. Um, So that is right now. Fresno's in the driver's seat, and that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Seeing how effective Fresno was stopping those looks in UNLV's offense. Yeah, I, I really had a lot of fun watching this UNLV football team's offense. I, they they line up with a stack three-man wide receiver oh, on one side a lot. Which that's is the just, good stuff. It's so good. <laughs> it's the uh, good stuff. Oh, hold on. I, I'm, go ahead. I misspoke. Uh, Fresno oh, and Boise perfect. play next week. Um, I think it's a different tiebreaker. Tie but yeah, that that game's also got an implication at the top um, of the Mountain West for that second spot in the Mountain West title game. Beautiful. No, I again, it. I think very highly of the go go mm-hmm. offense. I think this coach Marion guy is he's really something special. Uh, he's really a special coach. I really do think though, what bit them in this game is they had three turnovers, and to Jeff's point, multiple red zone turnovers, and you can't give the ball away if you want to win football games. It's I hate to say it's just that simple, but it's real hard to win if you don't have the ball when you're in the scoring position. Like you just those drives are killers. It's just they're just killers. And I'm excited to see what UNLV does yeah. the rest of the season. I'll still be watching them, but they it was a it was a it was a heck of a game and that's all we wanted and we got what we asked for to 31-24 and Fresno survived. And that was really all yeah. there was to it. Josiah, I know you've, you've been watching a lot of this G5 stuff. You saw these two teams play each other. Do either one of them have a date with Air Force beyond this week? I, I know UNLV is supposed to play Air Force uh, in mid-November around the 18th. So it'll be interesting to see how that one shakes out. Um, UNLV is, is going to... You know, they have a real shot here at going, I think it would be nine and three. If Because uh, I, I I, mean, it's not that I don't think they can beat Air Force, but Air Force just seems like so much the class of that league right now. They're hitting on all cil- sure cylinders. So, but I mean, a nine and three UNLV after what their history has been. Good grief, man. Like this is a this is an amazing coaching job. And I mean, giving Marion his flowers for the offensive side of that. It's such, you know, people have talked about UNLV as the sleeping giant, you know, the way that people talk about Colorado state, because they've got great facilities. They're in a rich area financially of the country. They're in Las Vegas, you know, Um, they, their department wants to pay for things. And it's, it's amazing that, that they're actually doing something with it, but yeah, they're going to play New Mexico, which, you know, they should win that game. They should beat San Jose state, but then they're going to play Wyoming who we've said, you know, 
they've taken some losses, but they're still pretty big and mean. And then they're going to play Air Force. And so after that stretch, if they go three and one in the next four games, that's going to be an unmitigated success for this UNLV team. Even if they fall short of what felt possible, it's incredible to see them make this turnaround and really cement themselves in that top half of the league. It's pretty cool stuff. Jeff, I'll give you the final word if you want it. Yeah, no, I think we're going to see some interesting thing, interesting games from both these teams. And yeah, Fresno is doing what it needs to, to to be in that conversation for the second Mountain West Championship game team. Sounds good to me. Let's move on to some dessert. Josiah, I think you put this dessert together. Or let me see, let me double check. As much as I as much as I wish I had, Jeff was the one it who was, did. It was me. It was Jeff. Oh, go, apologies, go Tigers, Jeff. But yeah, Jeff was the one that pulled this in this week. Jeff, please apologies. Please accept my mea culpa and tell me about your nope. dessert, sir. Okay, so we had some really interesting history um, this week, as well as just kind of generally this year in terms of women being involved in football. Um, so Jackson State freshman Lonnie Armenta, um, she is from Venture, California, but plays for for Jackson State. She hit three point after attempts and three points um, on all those point after attempts, therefore making her the first woman to score in an HBCU football game. Um, she is currently a defender on Jackson State's soccer team, has not played all year recovering from an ACL, but has made two appearances for the football team. Uh, she handled some kickoffs uh, when they played Bethune-Cookman due to some injuries as well as um, place kicking yesterday. Um, neither her nor her family knew that she called in to do this, but she did. Um, and yeah, that is... We're kind of seeing a more instance of this than we have in the past of women playing. Um, we also have had the first woman playing outside of a kicking position this year uh, with Haley Van uh, Norris of Shenandoah in D3. Um, she's played at defensive back um, as well as we're getting a pretty higher number of referees as well, where it's, per, it's great for the game. It feels antecedentally like we're seeing many more. I don't have overall NCAA stats. I do have some Big Ten stats that um, the first woman woman in Big Ten officiating was in 2017. There are now four out of 91 of the current of the Big Ten officials as of 2022 were um, women. There are some interesting things in that, and that officiating has seen a lot of turnover. Um, for example. Through um, the 2020 and 21 seasons, uh, four to five percent of Big Ten refs left partially to COVID. Referees tend to be a little older, so the amount of travel during COVID was an issue for them, as well as just across all sports, it's harder to recruit people to want to be refs because of abuse refs face. Um, and you've seen this. This is something that um, the FA in England has talked about in terms of. Referee recruitment, it's something that happens across American sports, both at high levels and youth levels, particularly when you're getting people in for the first time, they're going at the youth level, and people do not want to face a lot of abuse from, from parents um, or other st or students at a high school level 
um, towards refs. Mm-hmm. It's turning a lot of people off from wanting to be refs, particularly when you can do social media and you can like DM people threatening things. So it is interesting in that one of the mitigations for that four leagues is expanding the pool of people who might want to become referees and saying we can't just let 50% not potentially participate if we need to recruit. Although I think it's a, it, it's scary and a double-edged sword of we have seen varying attitudes of fans towards um, those female refs. And I think to an extent, it no longer being an outlier may subdue some of those if it's just something that people are now just used to. So I think it's good for the game. I, uh, Norfolk State had a Norfolk State alumni, someone who I actually was an undergrad with, was the first African-American woman to be a referee at the Division One football level. She was all over our uh, alumni magazine called Behold. So I, for one, think it's very good for there to be more women involved mm-hmm. in the game, whether it's playing, coaching, refereeing, commentating, don't care. I want more diverse perspectives involved in the game. One thing I do think would would this would be antithetical to your point and this is the fact that there's a high turnover of reps because they're older COVID was hard on them there need to be more reps on the Mm -hmm. field there are eight referees on the field during a game there should be 11 and again I don't say that so that they can keep an eye on all the players so that we can get things like marking a ball right or there should be more reps if not on the field involved in the game or the administration of the game and that's a that's a personal belief. I think the field should also be bigger. That's, that's another <laughs> belief. Uh, but or at least it should be wider. But that's a, we can have that conversation separately. I, I think more women in the sport is good for the life of the game. And I think if we can find a way to make the game safer, we would have more women participate in the game, broadly speaking. Uh, Josiah, what do you think about something like this? How do you think the game could be constructed in this way? I mean, some of it's going to it's going to be you have to have two two layers going on. You have to have aspirational things like right now. You do have women in reporting and analyst roles. People like Mina Kimes. You have people who do, you know, the uh, Dan Lee Batard has a bunch of women who are involved in his production, um, all wicked smart folks, but also at times very funny. You know, they can be dynamic. You also have people that are doing the sideline reporting that are doing the commentating you know, they're existing now on SportsCenter at, at multiple roles, multiple kinds of roles. And so that gives women who are not playing the game, but want to watch it and experience it, something to aspire to there. You kind of have to make more inroads for things in coaching. You have to have, you know, some teams going to, there are women who coach and have coached in the NFL. Uh, you're going to, you're going to, you can't build a pyramid without a big base. And what you'd have to do is basically get a bunch of schools say either we're going to go co-ed, fully co-ed, or which is probably going to be more widely acceptable. We're going to start girls football teams because we've had them before. We made them illegal, but we have had them before and get the high schools having these teams and have some colleges say, you know what? We're going to start a spring league because, you know, Stadium's not being used. Let's put the women's football team in the spring, men's in the in the fall, and then that way y'all can, you know, there's no competing um, or however you want to structure that. You know, they play on Sunday, men play on Saturday, whatever. Everyone's in town for the same weekend. Um, but whatever you do, you you need to build 
you're going to have to spend some money. That's what it's going to be. You're going to have to say, we're going to hire some coaches. We're going to give girls the opportunity to play a sport if they want to. And, you know, and, or when, and, and when you have a girl on your team, when it's a co-ed type thing, you know, you celebrate them like other players. This is our quarterback. She's great. Yes. This is our kicker doing great job. This is our punter. This is a wide out. This is a safety. Um, you know, this is our linebacker, whatever it is, you know, these, this person's a good player. So, I mean, you celebrate the ones that are there, but you also, you know, you're going to have to actually, you're going to have to on purpose, look at a door and open it. And a lot of the times we want doors to fall open without having to make any intentional effort. And that's for this kind of thing. We want yeah, doors, but don't yeah. want to build the doors. I mean, you know, we don't yeah. want to, we want to invest in MLS, but we don't want to invest in the NWSL. Like, you know, we don't want to put money into women's soccer, but we'll sink millions and millions into men's soccer before we make a profit. And, you know, it's, and there's more to it than that. I know, but, you know, it, it's, it's, you see it on other levels. We're not willing to say, Hey, let's, let's build a door and open it so that we can. And yeah, it's going to cost us something because we're starting from scratch, but that's what it costs. Um, but you know, telling Alabama, Hey, y'all could be good at two different football games. I mean, I, how, how is that not a, you, you would, would think, think they'd be like, you would think, yeah, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the tide rolls in both seasons, you know, whatever it, it, it what you'd think that you could, you could do it. You could do it you would or, think. or yeah. And we, we have seen growth yeah. on the flag football side and particularly with oh, the that's Olympics. So cool. That's going to be a big impetus for people to recognize that side of the sport as being as big as it is. And that is going to have both men and women. So that'll be a very interesting thing to see the reactions to that. Um, back to Leilani for a minute, a little bit. Uh, speaking of both recognition of the moment in history, as well as profiting, particularly for the people that have to kind of deal with the obstacles that it normally comes with to be the historical moment, because it is always tough. Um, she's got right. merch. Sure does. Because NIL is wonderful. So she, she actually does have, um, some merch available. Um, we'll put link in the show notes for that. Um, which is very 2023 in college football, but I think it's a one thing, one that women's sports has struggled with is getting a lot of the big suppliers to make sure that there is merch. You have had on the NWSL side, I know team merch yes. is always much more limited than a lot of other men's teams, as well as the Jersey stock. Yes. tends to sell out very quickly and not become available again. And it has been a struggle of a lot of people because the, the, it's showing demand that's there. Just pour, just make them and print them. Um, and you've seen players on that are not from the U.S. or not from an English-speaking country like make a step-by-step -step process. If you want to find my merch, this is how you go through the website Train, you know, they they point out with translations. I think it was a Japanese player of like this is how you go through the website. Um, there are a lot of the Premier League teams where they will have both a men's and women's club that are the same branding. They have there are a how do I say this nicely a variety of eases of finding the women's 
merch or women's players if you want on the back of the jersey between the different teams. Some it's in the same place where it's like, here's our 2023-2024 home kit. And you can get a men's name on the back. You can get a women's name. Mm -hmm. It's like right in the same place. And some you got to dig through the website. So it has been a really interesting thing as social media has come up, as NILs come up, as well as a lot of um, print on demand has come up of players themselves taking the initiative and the agency to get merch made for themselves that fans can go out and buy. I know the NWSL Players Association has like a store set up that you can get merch from them and also the money is going to the players versus going to the team, which can make a huge difference as well. I mean, that was part of why there was a separate store is the fight between the players and their federation. So, yeah, I mean, you just... You gotta scared money don't make money. It's and you gotta do that. You have to, you know. You look at the MLS and like Minnesota, the Loons. They had a team that was unbelievably terrible, like so bad, super bad. I I was in Portland one when, when they kind of debuted, and one of the Timber fans was like, you know, that's one of the worst debuts of any team in the history of. And it's not an old league, but in the league history, they they were one of the worst teams ever to start worst starts of all time and they're still around and you know but it's like how many nwsl teams are there oh yeah not at nearly as many and how many WNBA teams are there oh yeah not nearly as many uh, you just got to put it out there you got to be able to do that and you know it, it, it's it's just yeah you got to make it easy like i tried to buy a rapino jersey once during a world cup good luck like it was not there and i'm like why is this hard to find why is this hard to find? Take my money. Shut up and take my money. Oh, oh, there is a reason, and it's partially because the Federation doesn't want to have to pay yeah. for, did not want to at the time pay for yeah. the NIL, essentially, of getting a yeah. name on the back. <laughs> that was a relatively recent thing, and there was a lawsuit from the men's players regarding the fact that people figured out how to get custom jerseys that instead of it's me, the random fans last name that were like Clint Dempsey jerseys. And uh, so U.S. Soccer was like, nope, no custom jerseys anymore. Nope, nope, nope. Until eventually that got negotiated that there would be revenue share of if you did get a player on the end of the back. Wild times on how soccer is done at the national level here. Our women's team is really good. This shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> um, Jeff, you have plans for November. You want to lay those out for us? Yeah, so um, I will, this upcoming Friday, so let me put this in time. The 3rd of November, I will be getting onto a plane and I will be in Greece and Germany until just right before Thanksgiving. So I will be off off the main show for a little bit because it is seven hours ahead. Sure is. And it's going to be difficult, one, because I'll be busy looking at some really, really interesting historical sites, eating a lot of food. Uh, it, I'm there for my parents' 70th birthday, so spending time with them. Um, and it's going to be difficult for me to watch football, particularly when like a lot of games will kick off when it's like mm-hmm. 1030 at night. or Sure. Uh, and, and that's a 330 slate, so... Think about what the the seven eight o'clock slate will be. 
I'm not going to end up watching that much that much uh, college football. So I've got one, a couple interviews with a couple professors um, on ancient Greek sports, as well as how we use ancient Greek imagery in contemporary sports that I will be um, putting up as a solo, as well as I've got... Uh, couple of football matches yeah. I will be attending and I will be doing um, some either segments or solo shows depending on how long those go um, that kind of put some of that within a context of college football as well as a some historical context so one of the games will be one of uh, Greece's most fierce rivalries in Olympiacos and Pauk which has um, a lot of history built in as well as it has kind of a similar feel to a lot of college football rivalries. And also I will be attending Germany and Turkey in an international friendly. So, which is also is some interesting history built into that and, and some connections with how we have, um, sports and, and think about players and sports so i'll have some uh content in where that but yeah i will be uh out for a little bit there we're working on potentially having some guests in as well um but yeah just you will not hear me talk about uh <laughs> oval football for a couple weeks sounds great please travel safely and please come back safe. Josiah, anything you want to leave the people with as our executive chef of well, social I media? I mean, as, as always, you can find us on Twitter, X, what have you. Um, threads, you can find us on Blue Sky. You can find us on Instagram. Um, we'll be... I will be posting a lot on the Instagram as I take pictures of me traveling around, eating food in some sporting venues. Yes. So uh, we, we'd like to feed your mascot, and that includes... <laughs> me eating a lot of souvlaki as you should as you should as one does and so yeah that's what we that's what we'll do that's what we do um and yeah just you know if you want to chat with us directly it's on there or you know look for the moon crew discord and if you can't get in uh ch chat at us on socials and we'll figure out how to help y'all navigate that process so jeff for this week as the executive chef of production anything you want to leave the people with um, so we've got, in addition to my Olympiacos Pauk, um, <laughs> the rest of the pod has a couple of, uh, good games. Blue, you're doing a Central Florida at Cincinnati. Someone's got to win their first Big 12 game, so I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it happen. I, I, I've decided I'm going to watch it happen. So they can all be mad at me because I'm rooting yep. for both of them. Josiah, uh. You look like you're watching uh, what will potentially decide the yeah, SEC the East. Yeah. Two teams undefeated in conference play. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to that. I'm not sure how how realistic the odds of Mizzou doing something interesting are, but I'm you know I'm hope springs hope springs eternal or whatever. <laughs> I'll be I'll be excited to. I I would love it if Mizzou at least keeps it close. You know, I as much as I. I yeah I I would love to see Georgia not win it. It just would be interesting to see some other team from the East pull that off and 
you know, if Mizzou figures a way out to do this, that'd be so cool. Um, but even if they don't, if they just at least give Georgia a run for their money, that'll be that'll be fun. It looks like the all game this week is Kansas State at Texas, although that is up for debate. <laughs> Josiah yeah, and I will work sure. that out. I, I also have us monitoring Penn State mm-hmm. at Maryland. I don't know how that's going to go, but I have us yeah. monitoring. Um, this is it, gang. We're in the home stretch, last quarter of the season. Try to get your fun where you can. Watch the games. Get out there. You can go to a game. Go to the game. Uh, we're past homecoming season for everybody, so this is it. Uh, it's starting to get a lot colder, but that means the hits are going to be harder and the games are going to mean a lot more. Uh, we will not be tracking whatever it is that the college football playoff says. <laughs> I, the committee, I don't recognize them and I refuse to take anything they say seriously. So it's not real until the last week. So that's right. We could we could make an, a playoff ranking and it will mean just as much until the one in the last week. Um that's right. Yeah, everybody enjoy your your days on Twitter. I listen when Tuesday gets here. I man, don't don't bring it to me. I don't care. I don't care what the committee does. I don't recognize them at any point in the season. I think their national championship is a fraud. Uh, that being said, everybody enjoy your sport. <laughs> Go Citronauts. Okay, Air Force. That's right. This hey, year, Air play- Force. Listen. Undefeated Air Force. <laughs> listen, if we get a twelve and zero Air Force and they don't get included in a playoff. They're I mean, frauds. Then the committee is frauds. I want to see it's all Air fraud, Force all the way make down. Ohio State. I, w- I want to see them drag them to hell. It's that would be so much fun for, for four, four quarters, quarters. Yes, drag Ohio State sure yeah, straight to hell. That would be so fun. And if <laughs> and if Ohio the state talks about how much they love the troops, well, they'd let Air there Force you go. win. Let let the Air Troops win <laughs> if you love them so much. That specific matchup. Ohio State is a team that loves being dragged. <laughs> they do. They do. Like that, that is they do. their thing. We don't. We don't. They they'll do, just but, like yeah. whatever, however you want to play. We'll play. We will get in there <laughs> yeah. and do the same. Yeah. You want to be in the mud? Uh, oh, we'll be in the mud. Oh, yeah. Six to three. Good point. So, so that would be. Yep. <laughs> oh. Yep. One on a drop kick of oh all things. Gosh. Um. So everyone get out there, enjoy your folk, enjoy your teams, and enjoy your rivalries because they're coming and it's my favorite part of the year. And don't forget to feed your...